have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to find the book of Genesis. My name is Chad Glover. I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors here. And so we're just so glad that you made the choice to join us tonight. And we believe where we're headed tonight is going to be uh, profoundly inspirational, infor- informational, and challenging uh, to a lot of the people that are here tonight. And so, man, we're so glad that you chose to join us. Where we've been, if you're joining us for the first time in a while, we just talked about sex on the first night. We just said, hey, man, sex is God's ideal. He created it. He excites it. He encourages it. But in the context of uh, his parameters, he says, this is where sex is going to thrive the best. And then we went to um, talk, on to talk about singleness. And we said, man, God has given uh, you a gift of singleness. And how you know whether or not you have the gift of singleness is you answer this question. Are you single today? And it's like, well, you, you have the gift if you woke up single. And so congratulations. And uh, God wants you to leverage this season of life uh, for a strategic purpose, not to check out of your singleness, uh, not to squander uh, these years of your life, but to really leverage them as a unique season of your life that will probably expi- expire, praise Jesus. Um, and then, But you can use this time to really harness it for the glory of Christ. And then uh, my boy came up here and he just, he kind of bared his soul, man. He, he said, man, I, 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 I love pornography. That's what he said. And, uh, and he said, and the reason why um, is because I started with this curiosity that led me down a dark destruction of, of really consuming pornography, almost like a heroin addict. And then he began to say, this is what God has taught me through that. Um, he doesn't steal uh, pornography, just a disclaimer. He's, he's been clean, okay, so you can trust the integrity of my boy. But he, he began to say, hey, this is what uh, the dark side of that path is going to lead you on. So if you're here and that's your struggle, man, check out week number three. It's an incredibly honest but incredibly helpful and powerful message from the man of God about um, just his reality. And then last week, we, we, we uh, addressed you ladies. Where are my ladies at? Say, hey. All right. Good. Split the hair. All right. So we addressed you ladies, and we just said, hey, ladies, ladies, God's design, his design, his intention, like places extreme value on you. That you're not a commodity. The culture, even today, would view women as a commodity. But, but, but because of Christianity, man, there have been incredible uh, things that have happened in the lives of women. Women are now seen because of, of what the scriptures say as the image bearers of God. And, and that should be no surprise to you, ladies. You should have always been seen that way. But for one reason or another, kind of survival of the fittest in our, our humanity's history, you've been kind of just abused, to be honest with you. And it's because of the paradigm that Jesus inserts into human history that that leads us to even have a a woman who could run for president in the greatest nation. And that's that's a great thing for us to celebrate that women are considered equals with men. And so we looked last week, man, girls, you are equals with men, but you're different. And all the men would say, yes, that's true. There's no denying that, I don't think. And and we just said, girls, you are God's complement to humanity. And there's something beautifully unique and profound about you. And where we want to turn tonight is, guys, we want to start uh, looking at what God has to say about you. Where are my dogs at in the house? Ho, ho, yeah, yeah. And so um, just kind of a, a disclaimer, um, when you talk to girls, what I've learned is that um, is typically, uh, like my wife, she does a lot of girls' retreats, she's led those, she's gone to those, and typically girls, when y'all get together and we talk, you know, girl talk and that sort of thing, um, when I say we talk girl talk, um, if you don't know me, I have, I have three daughters and a wife, and so I talk girl talk a lot, um, this is what I'm learning right now, and uh, so I ask a lot about, like, how does that make you feel, and I say things like, you know, that's really pretty, what's your favorite, but, you know, that kind of stuff, and just just ask a lot of questions, sit back and listen. Okay, guys, you should have written that down. Anyway, um, but when you, when you talk with girls, it's more like, you know, you know, girls, y'all typically get knee to knee. You talk about your feelings and you really, girl, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you grab each other's hand and say, let it out. It's okay. Guys, when we talk to each other, it's more like a verbal lashing, okay? It's like, yeah, right. That's what, you, okay. So just, you know, buckle up, put your seats in the upright position, put your tray up and let's prepare for takeoff because God has some things to say to you men. And he has some things to say to you that I believe are going to be very, very profound. And I believe that if you'll lean in, listen up, buckle up, get your chin strap on and get ready for what God has to say, he will begin to speak to the heart of the man that God has made you to be so that you can become all that God has called you to be. Amen. And so we're going to step off into tonight's message. About uh, 1974, there was an incredible athlete, excuse me, 1976, there was an incredible athlete. Um, he, he was really hailed as one of the greatest athletes in the world. 
a guy named Bruce Jenner. Y'all can see his picture right here. He was the gold medal winner for the, for the decathlon. He was a decathlete, which means he was the best of the best in his field. And so much so that in this time, like, I don't know if y'all remember this, but Wheaties are still around, and they'll put these star athletes on the box. And so Jenner, man, he made the box, and he made the box for several years. So boys were, were changing in their lucky charms for Wheaties because they wanted to be Bruce Jenner. They wanted to dominate uh, the world of sports and athleticism like Bruce did. And, and you know Bruce Jenner, not because you watched him win the 1976 gold medal for the decathlon or decathlete. You, you, um, you don't know him because of that. You know him because of something else. That Bruce Jenner perhaps is one of the most courageous men ever to walk in our human history. And he was actually awarded in 2015. He was awarded this, this award at the ESPY Awards, which is where they get all these athletes together. They begin to award them for certain things. And there's this award called the Author Ash Award of Courage, and they awarded Bruce Jenner, who at this time in his life had already gone through some um, cosmetic surgeries, already gone through some transgender surgeries, and, and now he uh, came out and he was just bared his soul. He said, look, I, I feel like I'm a woman, and he struggles with what's called, I think, gender dysphoria, and then he, he acted upon those feelings, and he began to really changed the way he looked, and then he even adopted a new name. And so we know Bruce Jenner today, we know him as Caitlyn Jenner. And so this is him or her when he was given his speech at the ESPY Awards for this incredible award for courage. And again, let me say again, I believe that Bruce Jenner is probably one of the most courageous men in our history. Because guys, it takes courage to be honest. And the reality is a lot of you are like, man, what's this brother pre? What's he been smoking out before service, right? And because you look at Bruce's honesty and you're going, man, that's just, that's a little edgy for me. But the reality is, is that Bruce has some issues and you do too. And I do too. And we've confused what it means to be a man, but we stuff it in and we don't have the courage to be honest about the questions that we have. Let me explain. Some of you have come in here tonight and you struggle with same-sex attraction and you don't know if this is a safe place for you to open up about that. Some of you have come in here tonight and, and, and in your masculinity, you are stuffing down this deep, dark secret and you don't have the courage to be honest. And Jenner's problem wasn't his honesty. His problem was his community. And so Jenner, he, he, man, he, he went for it. He's like, man, let me just explain. I, I'm confused with what is masculinity, and, and I'm confused with these feelings. And so his community rallied around him and said, Bruce, you can be whoever you want to be. You're awesome. You, just need to, you deserve to be happy. And his community and our culture is saying, man, you need to express your masculinity however you want, even if that is uh, emasculating yourself literally. And so we walked in here tonight in our culture, man, there's so much confusion when it comes to masculinity and what it means to be a man. And we live in a culture that says, if you decide you don't want to be a man, awesome, good for you. Let's award that courage. And I'm just inviting you to be courageously honest with where you're at, men, so that we can be honest together and then make advancements towards what we believe is the answer for humanity and for our masculinity and it's just so hard in our culture right because what makes a man is so um it's it just different you know like if, if you swing an axe and you have an awesome beard and you have any awesome beard I think I see a couple in the house awesome thank you labor of love beard men okay and so like that's just you know that's like a fine manicured lawn um but on your face and so keep it clean and uh, anyway so man we define masculinity like like I come in here tonight and I drive a I drive a truck and it has a Texas flag bandana and it hits on the back I used to break horses and in college. I played football in college. I, um, I have a wife. We have three kids, and you know what, how that happens. Anyway, and so I like my coffee strong and black. Um, I like to trash talk, not as vulgar as McGregor, but I, there's something about him that I'm just like, yeah, that guy's got game in a weird way. I don't know. I don't endorse all of his profanity, but you know what I'm saying. And so, and because I'm all of those things, because I like all of those things, because I like to do leather work, and because I like to do heart, that does not make me a man. 
And if you're here tonight and you're, you're maybe on this other end of the spectrum, maybe you like, you like, you're a part of a book club and you like doing pottery and you like smooth jazz and, and, and you like sugar in your coffee and you're, you're vegan or whatever it is. I mean, you come in here and you love fasting. Like just because you're all those things, that doesn't disqualify you from being, in fact, you could be the most ferocious, God-fearing representation of masculinity in the house tonight. And so don't let anybody look at you and go, oh, he's not a man because he likes art. And so there's this confusion, and we like to label and categorize, but God has something to say, and the the confusion also comes because, guys, we don't know when we become a man, right? Like Obamacare says it's 26, uh, but, you know, uh, uh, Coors Light and Marlboro, they say 21. Um, You know, uh, Uncle Sam, he says 18, which ironically is the same age that you have to be in order to play, like, Call of Duty, World War II zombies. Um, (laughs) And so you can go to war or buy your video game. You choose, Okay. Ford says 16. I'm like, when do we become a man? And it's so confused in our culture. And so our culture has placated what it means to be a man. It's downplayed what, what it means to be a man. And so, and so Jenner is, is, is a hero in our culture. And, and, and he, is, um, he, he is a representation of, of like where, where we're at as a culture. I mean, he is a product of our culture. And we are all products of this line of thinking. And so masculinity and manhood has been kind of uh, confused. And the lines are blurred. And what makes a man and what makes a a man, not a man, we don't really know in our culture. And to be honest with you, our church hasn't helped at all. Like the church has emasculated men. Like check this out. I mean, like, let's just be honest that most churches are not the most masculine places to go. Like, hey, bro, you can go to church with me? No, I'm, I'm kind of categorized. I'm stereotyping right now that all men dip, but they don't. Um, and, uh, and they're like, well, what do y'all do? Oh, you know, we're like, we sing and... Uh, and then we sit around with like old women and children and we talk about our feelings. You should come. <laughs> and most of the brothers in the house are like, man, like the picture I have of Jesus, I honestly think I could beat him up, you know, like because you've seen some artwork at like Nelson Art Museum and it was like Jesus and, and he had like product in his hair, probably looked like he drove a pink Prius. Um, <laughs> Loves Taylor Swift, 1989, and he just, he's like, the, he's like the religious Olaf, like warm hugs and sprinkles fairy dust, you know what I'm saying? And we have this picture that Jesus is kind of weak, effeminate, like we're like, man, I, don't, I have a hard time respecting that brother. But when you study history and you study Jesus, you find out that he is not that at all. He, he swung a hammer for a living. Um, most carpenters in this day, they had short hair because it got in their way because they were building stuff. He walked everywhere he went. He never lost a fight when he was challenged publicly until he was crucified. He defended those who could not defend himself, themselves. Excuse me. Jesus is the, the epitome of masculinity. He is the epitome of, of manhood and of, of humanity. Jesus is the perfect man, and we look to him as a prime example of what it means to be a man. And Christianity doesn't mean that you have to check your man card at the door. And I want to draw your attention to this ancient model for masculinity tonight. So if you're coming here and you're not a Bible person, man, we're glad you're here. But I just want to tell you, this is what Jesus, the God that that we follow, Jesus believed these things to be true. And when he was trying to reflect what God intended for his manhood, he looked to these scriptures. He actually quotes some of these scriptures in his lifetime that we have recorded in the New Testament. And so we're going to look back at this ancient um, uh, blueprint for masculinity tonight, and I believe that we're going to see what God intended for manhood, what has gone wrong in the struggles that we're going to face tonight. So guys, lean in, take notes, listen up. Ladies, lean in, take notes, listen up, because guys, you need to become this, and women, you need to find a man that's worth his salt so that you can... Build a legacy through your pregnancy with him together once y'all get married and you can respect your man. The worst thing I could imagine for a woman is trying to follow an idiot, okay? So you don't want that. I don't want that for you. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says this. This is the history of the heavens and the earth 
When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, if you want to circle that phrase, and a man became a living being. I want you to notice the order that God's laying out. And I'm not going to apologize for this order. You may disagree with this, but you can take that up with Jesus, okay? I'm just the messenger, and I'm just delivering the mail, okay? And so Jesus, he writes this. He inspires this, and he says the order is that men were made first. And men, we don't need to apologize for that. We need to own that, that there's a responsibility that is put on the shoulders of men that we are called to own, and not abdicate, not be weak and whine about our position, but we're called to own it. And so God says the man was formed first. And notice that he was formed of the dust, and then God did something very distinct, and, and the author wasn't accidentally writing this. He says that he formed this man, and this being was just existing, and then the breath of God was breathed into his nostril. This word breath of God is the word nishamad. It means breath or spirit that, that the author is trying to tell us that there is a difference between existing and truly living, that we started Paradigm a few years ago, just like Josiah said, so that people could come into this room and they could have a safe place to examine the claims of Christ. And what Jesus would say is that I've come to bring you life and life more abundantly. And he's not standing at a graveyard when he's saying this. He's talking to people who are alive and he's saying, I've come to give you life. And so what that means is that Jesus sees a distinction between merely existing men and truly living for what God has called you to be and do. And so there's a difference between just being formed and being an existence of this earth and being truly alive, truly allowing the Spirit of God to flow into you. And what the author is telling us is that he wants you to exist. And we started Paradigm so that we could tell you about how you could be right with your maker, how you could know the God of the galaxies, how he could so fill you with your spirit and empower you to say no to the things that are robbing life from you, to say yes to the things that are hard but that are right, and to be a man of God that stands on the word of God and looks into the face of a culture that is against you and confused and be able to navigate it and marry a woman and to raise kids and to change this world. We want to tell you about that that starts when you enter in a right relationship with Jesus. Going on to verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to notice real quick that the man was made in the wilderness, and then God put him in the garden. Men, there's something wild about all of us. There's something rugged about us. This is why men run to war. We run into the battle, not away from the battle. Man, there's something innate inside of every one of us. That's why when we hear the bass drum, either in a rap song or in an African tribal dance, it does something to us because we were made in the wilderness. And then God sets us in the garden. And it says in verse 15, after it mentions some rivers and stuff, it says in verse 15 that the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. You could circle those words, tend and keep, tend and keep. Men, you were made to cultivate and you were made to protect. This word tend is means that you take the wilderness and you make it look like the garden. You were made to tend it. You were made to keep it cultivated and protect. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to draw your attention to three W's that every man was made to do. Three W's that every man was made to do. The first W is that God made you to have a work, or God gave a man a work to enjoy. A work to enjoy. We see that God sets Adam in the garden. And he was meant to cultivate the garden, protect it. And I love this because that work is simply you're taking raw materials and you're forming them into useful things. I, I love doing leather work. I work with people. And so people, oftentimes it's hard to know whether or not I'm being successful because um, we're people, right? We're never a finished product. We're always a work in prog- progress, me included. A lot of progress yet to be made. And, and so I love working with leather because I take the raw materials. And so I take this, this cow that was very committed to this piece of luggage I'm going to make. 
because he gave his life for it. Okay, anyway, so uh, you there? All right, good. Hey, <laughs> all right, that was funny, but maybe not. Um, and so this cow, very committed to the luggage because he gave his life for it. I take his hide, and, uh, and then I start cutting his hide. And then I take the rugged materials, the cow and the pig that was probably, you know, committed as well, and I glue it, and I build it, and I sew it, and then now I have a piece of luggage. And then I give that away, or I sell that, or whatever. And so that's the idea that men, we were created to cultivate, take the wilderness and make it into a garden. And God is saying this, that in the perfect world, this is Eden, this is paradise, there is work. Guys, listen, listen real quick. I know this may not make much sense, but work is not a result of sin. Work, work is something that God did. The Christian message is so unique. It's not like an eternal retirement in heaven. God went to work six days. Men, we're, we're made to work. That's what we're made to do. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, that some occupation is necessary to happiness. Lazy people would not enjoy even Eden itself. A perfect man is a working man. That God, he put inside of the heart of every man this desire to find his, his purpose in a right relationship with Jesus and then to tell his passion what his purpose is and to leverage your vocation as a calling. And until, men, until you find or until you discover what that passion is, what that niche is, go get a job. You're meant to work. You're not meant to sit around. Nothing's more dangerous than a man with time on his hands. This is why when I, I knew I felt called to ministry when I was in college, but I didn't know how that was going to play out, and I knew that I needed to eat. And so I didn't just wait on the Lord to provide for me a ministry job. I went out and got a job. I started my own business inspecting real estate, crawling around underneath people's houses and inspecting and typing up reports and out there hustling, taking donuts to real estate offices, trying to get my name out, business cards. I had to put down money to get all this stuff. I, I had a job, and it was from that job that God called me into vocational ministry. It was from that job that God allowed my purpose to come into fruition, and I took a 50% pay cut to step into my calling, and it has not been a regret once in my mind because that's what God made me to do. But in the meantime, and a lot of you are in the meantime, get a job. It's what you're made to do. It's, what, it's how God wired you. And everything is sacred that honors God. That's why the pilot is just as impactful as the pastor. This, that's why the, the medical field is just as sacred as the ministry. That's why the garbage man and his service to society is just as important and just as vital as, as, as the church's impact on society. That everything is sacred. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might as unto the Lord because this is how you were made. Second W, God gives you a will to obey. We see in verse 16 that, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. Excuse me, you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So the second W, God gives men a will to obey. Men, we need structure. We thrive best when we know the rules and we execute them. And if you come in here and, and you think that, that Christianity is all about, you know, I don't watch Reddit R movies unless they're about Jesus and, uh, you know, I only drink beer in private or whatever your list is, you know, only whatever, okay? It's not about the don'ts when you come to follow Jesus. And you see that in the garden. God gave Adam, he's like, look, bro, I'm trying to hook you up, man. I got you out of the wilderness in the garden. I, I'm showing you what I want you to do. And then here in a minute, he's going to be like, bro, I want you to, I'm about to show you this woman. You don't know what a woman is yet, but you're going to fall asleep. It's going to be weird, but you trust, just trust me on this. You're going to like this. And then he tells Adam, he's like, hey, Adam, hey, that's your girl. Let's, let's, I'm going to do the wedding real quick, and now go be fruitful and multiply. That's Bible speak for go get it on, okay? And so, and Adam's like, man, I like these rules. These rules are great. I'm flourishing. I'm thriving. I got pleasure in these rules. I got, and then he gives him one rule, one rule, because God gives us free will, man. And if we're going to choose to honor God, it's going to be our choice, and we're made to thrive in structure. No one argues with the structure of the military. They just say, yes, sir. 
But for some reason, we feel like we have an opinion when it comes to Christianity. We think it's oppressive that God would tell us what to do. But guys, God is telling us that you have a will to obey. Like this is God's love for us. It would be, you would say, I'm a, I'm a perverted and perverse and wicked parent. If you came to my house and my Elizabeth, she's my four-year-old, she's the active one in the bunch, you know? Like she's the one that will get on a stage like this that's probably twice her height and just throw herself off of it and then laugh about it. She likes to headbutt me, um, which is weird in itself, a girl that likes to headbutt her dad. She always laughs when that kind of stuff happens. It's really funny when she gets rough with mom because mom doesn't play like that. And so like, like <laughs> she'll headbutt mom and then mom's like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, and then Elizabeth's lap. Anyway, and so like when Elizabeth gets scissors, you know, I'm always just like, you know, just kind of like hovering around her, you know, and, and uh, but you would say, man, it's, you would be a wicked dad if you just said, hey, babe, here's the scissors, go to gymnastics, have fun, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love you, I love you. No. Hey, bro, get the scissors out of her hand. But when God says, don't do something, we're like, God, why are you trying to rob me from joy? And when God says, don't do something, what he's saying is, don't hurt yourself. God knows you more than you know yourself. He wants what's best for you. And so we trust that God has given us a will to obey and that this is for our good. The third W that man gets from God is that God gives us a, a woman to love, a woman to love. We see in verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Amen. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woe man, and he brought her to the man. And then Adam bust out in this poetry. Basically, he says in the Hebrew, mine, me like you, I want you now, right? He just like loses I mean, it's just a, this beautiful, really a beautiful portrait that the first poetic device used in the scripture is to describe how the man responds to the woman. And so we see very clearly that God has given man a woman to love. Men, you were made for the love of women, not for the lust of women. You were made to... To, to treat women like a precious piece of china, a precious piece of art in your house. To honor them as a delicate, fragile, but honorable vessel. You were made to treat women like a, like a compliment, not a commodity. Women are something for you to honor and protect, not to use and neglect. And we were made men, we were made to pursue a woman. We were made to catch eyes with her and go after her and be clear with our intentions. Then one day say, girl, in my sobriety, this is what I told Chelsea, I, I wasn't looking deep in her eyes with Ed Sharon playing in the background saying, oh, I love you, like just in the moment. I remember I was driving in my truck on Gentry Highway, the most non-romantic place, jamming some George Strait. And I said, let me turn this down, girl. I said, hey, just want to let you know. I kind of talked like that back in the day. Just want to let you know in, you know, no frills, no romance. Girl, I love you. And I told her that because I didn't want it to be confused with intoxicated romance or whatever. And men, we were created to do this. And women, we need your help. You are categorized as a, as a, a helper fit for men. And so, I mean, you've heard this principle. It's true that behavior that is rewarded will be repeated. And so encourage the men in the house. When you see them open up the door for you, don't just walk like, yeah, that's right, you ought to do that, you know. Like, look at them in the eyes and say, hey, thank you. When you see men honoring you, honor them for the way that they honor you. Girls, we are simple creatures. We're like dogs, all right? Like, you give us a treat. Like, they don't, it could be like, like catfish food or something. Oh, that's awesome, you know. And we'll repeat it, right? I mean, what you celebrate will become will be what we become. Behavior that is rewarded will be repeated. Girls, encourage your brothers. We need it. Nothing will, will set wind in our sails and push us to the place that God has called us to be like you. You have, you have a profound power in our life. It goes on, and I want you to notice the order of Genesis 2.24 
that therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is kind of a marriage text that Adam, he had all of his stuff together. Men, get your stuff together. When you get your stuff together, God will entrust you with a woman. Like some of you here, most of you here, I would imagine, you're like, I would like to be married someday. I like the idea of me and a woman in marriage and it sounds really nice with like a picket fence and children and, and, and cornbread and stuff. I don't know. I mean, you got this picture and you really, really would like a woman. Get your stuff in order. You think God would entrust you with one of his daughters if you can't lead yourself? Adam had his life in order. He was right with God. He had a job. And then he got his woman. You were made to be a leader. You were made first. Own it. Ask yourself the question, honestly, if you were God, would you trust you with one of your daughters? Be the man that God's called you to be. And then we see, and I love this, because out of verse 24 comes verse 25, and we see that God wants us to have shameless sex. He wants us to have shameless sex. It's God's idea. It's his design. He wants you to get freaky in marriage. He wants you to have an incredible opportunity. He wants the best for your life. And we see this in verse 25, that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And we've messed this up in our culture, man. What we do is we get naked, then we get married, and now we have shame. And maybe that's why marriage isn't working in our culture, in the church and outside the church. Maybe we should try a different paradigm. Maybe we should do things, maybe this, the way that the ancient text says that we get married, we leave and cleave, and then we get naked, and we're unashamed. God desires this for you. He wants you to know this. This is paradise. And women, if you, if you are looking at this list and you're like, oh, really, I long for a man like that. I want to encourage you, sisters. I want to encourage you, women. Don't settle. Pursue men like this. Don't lower your standards. Lengthen your patience. If you're, if you're looking to, to, to fall in love with a man that is worthy of his respect. Begin to pray, oh God, move from God, give me a man that, that will take care of me. To Oh God, give me a man that, that has a will to obey you. Oh God, give me a man that has a work that is, it is his calling, that he's fulfilled. Oh God, give me a man that is a one-woman man. Oh God, bring me this man. Pray. Some of you have not because you ask not. Don't lower your standards. Lengthen your patience and go to God in prayer. And some of you girls, maybe this just evokes all kinds of heartache because, because you fell for some boy that can shave and he exploited you. And you lowered your standards because you just wanted to be loved. You just wanted some attention. There's grace for you. Tonight, we'll have women up here. Come tell them your story. Be courageously honest. So we see paradise, and then things are about to go real bad. Like that's the best part of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. And then we get into Genesis 3, and, and we see the curse. And, and man, this, was, this should make sense because you're laying it out like, like you know, I mean, we, why don't we enjoy our work? Why don't we enjoy women the way God intended us? Why don't we honor him in the way? It's because we're broken, because there's a curse, because something went wrong. And we see the rebellion enter, enter into human history, Genesis 3, 6, starting off, it says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and notice this, and she also gave to her husband with her, that means elbow to elbow, right next to her, and he ate too. And so girls, let's be honest, like, you, like I don't know if you grew up in church, but you probably grew up in, if some of you grew up in church, you had that guy that was like, yeah, all of this, that's your problem, all right? That, that, yeah, that's Eve's issue, right? You should, and that's why you're broken, and that's why I'm frustrated because it's just women, women crazy, right? And maybe they blamed you, categorized you, okay? Well, they're wrong. The fallout in human history is not because of something Eve did. It's primarily because of something Adam didn't do. And, that, and we know this because God blames Adam for the sin. He says, where were you? And men, if you're taking notes, point number two is that the number one struggle is that we, we men, we struggle with passivity. And so we've got to learn to reject passivity. Reject 
passivity. Now, let me define passivity real quick because there really is no truly passive men. Like, you know, like you could be, you know, eating Cheetos with reruns of The Office while you're playing Xbox One and you are actively being passive, like you're actively doing something. And so I'm not talking about how we struggle with just like being still, not doing anything. What I mean by passivity is this. It's actively pursuing something other than what God desires and designed men to pursue. One of my biggest life regrets to this day was a moment of passivity. I was 15 years old. My mom, she was working a second job. She was a realtor by day, and on the weekend, she would do karaoke to try to drum up some extra business. She wouldn't go out and sing karaoke. She was the person that put it on. And she did karaoke at this place out on the lake called the marina. And uh, so every Friday night, Saturday night, she was out there hanging out with a bunch of drunk people, um, getting them to sing 70s rock music and having a good time, right? I remember it was, a, it was a, a weekend, like a Saturday, and we were out at the lake, and it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was there with my mom, uh, my soon-to-be stepdad, this is the guy that she was seeing at the time, and, and one of my other brothers. I was 15. Everything anatomically said I was a man. I was, I was a, a little bit smaller, but about the same size I am now at 15. I was that guy. And, uh, and everything about me, like I was, and I was acting like a man, I, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm tough, all that stuff. And then this guy comes out and he's inebriated, man. He is drunk as a skunk. In the South, we say drunker than a cooter brown. I don't know what that means, but he was drunk. And he walks up to my mom and he begins to say some things that are very, very egregious. He begins to say some things that were very offensive. He begins to say some things very, very um, perverted and, and sexual and using vulgar language about my mother, using words that you can only imagine about what she does and what she will do, which were all lies. My mom's one of my life heroes. And in that moment, he was speaking ill of my mother. And the man that was entrusted to guard her, silent. The second in command, my older brother, silent. The last man standing, I should have grabbed him by the throat and said, you apologize. Silent. Because I'm passive. And listen, men, you are too. And when we're silent, when we're supposed to stand up, conflict runs rampant. And those who God has called us to protect are exploited. What we are called to do burns. That conflict, it, it didn't resolve itself. And passivity, man, it plays out in our lives in so many ways. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, man, I feel this every day. Jesus doesn't wake me up like, hey, buddy. Hey, hey, good morning. It's me, Jesus. Hey, it's time to go to church today. He doesn't do that to me. No, every day I'm like, what is life? Oh, Every day I feel this passivity. I have apathy towards God. I don't want to get in his word. I don't want to pray because I'm passive. I have a tendency to want fantasy rather than reality because we're passive. It's easier to, to look at a two-dimensional woman than actually pursue a real hot-blooded, red-blooded woman because we're passive. We don't want to go through the work of romance where we can just get our fix on some sort of technology because we're passive. This is why we are silent. This is why we, we are sarcastic. This is why we whine and make excuses for our, our lameness because we're passive. And it dates back and it roots itself back to the first man. And men, I believe that this is our greatest problem. And this is why we need community, men. This is why we need men around us. I sit in a community group with about eight other men. And, and this last week we were talking about men are called to be leaders, I said it like that, leaders, right? And so I looked at them and I said, hey, how many of you guys want to be a leader someday? And because they're just products of our culture, I probably would have said the same thing when I was their age. I don't know. And so I'm, I'm the man of the group. I'm the oldest one. I've got a wife. They don't. I've got children. They don't. And so I just said, are you kidding me? Because they were in community, a man of God challenged their passivity, and men, we need a band of brothers that will look at us in the eye, man to man, toe to toe, and not back down from our weaknesses, but speak into them, not call each other out, but call each other up to all that God has created for us to be. And I looked at those men, I said, you are a leader. You're a leader today. But what type of leader 
would you be? And so, man, this is, our, this is our struggle. So we need to do something. We need to say something. We need to be men. We need to learn how to punch passivity in the face. Speak up and silence the lies of the serpent and learn how to kick the curse that is upon us to the curb. Men, we need to rise up and be men. And Adam, he does it. So we see what happens here in verse 7, that the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves coverings. And so the rebellion led to religion. Adam, he's a fixer, you know, like most men, like there's a problem. And so Adam's like, hey, Eve, we can fix this. I can cover this up. We can just brush our mistake. We'll just call it a mistake so it doesn't come across as quite offensive. You know, I'm a mistaker and, you know, and I make mistakes. And, and, uh, but, but Adam wasn't calling it what it is. And see, we can cover it up. We can fix our mess. And so he slips off into religion. It's a good word. And, and if we're good enough, maybe when God comes to us, he'll be like, you know, well, I see your fig leaves. Good job, Adam. Way to go. And, and religion is birth, and it's ridiculous. What it's saying to God is, I don't need you. And so they try to fix their sin. But guys, let me be clear. There's no one doing your sin. We were born sinners. We commit sin. There's no one doing it. We will pay for what we have done. And I know I have willingly committed sin against God even when I knew it was wrong. I know you have too. And we can't cover it up. There's no amount of religion that will fix it, man. Religion is like putting makeup on a mannequin thinking that it's going to make it come to life. It's ridiculous. There's no amount of religion. And so what we see in verse 8 is that, um, that, that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Adam and Eve, they were hiding, which is ridiculous. So we play this game called Lion at my house, where I'm the lion, Arr, you know, and like my girls, they go hide, you know, five and four, and like I scratch on the walls, Arr, and they're, they're like, Arr, they're freaking out, you know, and they go hide, and like never once have I been like, where'd they go? Like I seriously can't find them, because they're, they're hiding like half their bodies hanging out of a blanket, they're usually fighting over like the little bitty blanket, and they're giggling. And I'm like, arr, arr, and they just want me to find them and then tickle them and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and so it's just really cute. It's, and you're like, oh, that's so cute. And it's just as like, like pathetic, you know, when you see them hiding. It's just as pathetic when God sees you hiding. There's no hiding from God. So God, he comes and he says, where are you? And the question I have for you men and women tonight as well, where, where are you in relationship with your sin? Are you coddling your sin? Are you thinking that your, your humanitarian work at Rachel's house or your, your feeding of the homeless is going to somehow cover up your sin? Where are you? There is no hiding from God. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. Where are you? And so he says in verse 10, it says this, Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, this is awesome, um, awesomely sad, uh, she gave me the tree and I ate. So man's response when he gets called out, he's like, look God, this is, the one, this is your fault, her fault, I don't know, I'm going to be over here barbecuing, once y'all figure it out, I'll accept your apology, okay, um, because I'm, I'm gracious. All right, and so once y'all figure it out, you know, because it ain't my fault, it's, yeah, it's all, yeah, y'all just talk, it's a classic blame shift. He don't want to own his junk. And what we see here is that all that is created has been tainted. The curse is about to set in. And so we see that the three W's that God created us to do, the, the work to enjoy, the will to obey, the woman to love, they're all fractured now. And so point number three, man, this sin, it corrupts the three W's. The first W that it corrupts is our will to obey. And so we slip into this mode, like, I'll obey God when I feel like it. That we have this enemy and he whispers lies to us constantly. We wake up and we hear these lies, men, like, are we good enough? We hear these lies like, can you truly trust God? And so we live these lives where we rebel against God and then we have these seasons of life change where we begin to do good things trying to fix the problems that we did back then. And God is offended by your rebellion of him against his way, and he's just as offended, if not more offended, by your vain pursuits to try to cover up in religion.
And so it's all broken. We see the curse of the snake. And then you jump down to verse 16. You see the curse that comes upon the woman. He says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children, which is true. And then he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. We see that sin corrupts the woman to love. And so, man, we slip into this mode like I'll love her only if she meets my needs. And so we see her as, as kind of like a, a um, convenience rather than a, a compliment. We see her as a commodity to meet an itch in our life, and, and it's, it's broken. And so we exploit women, and the compliment turns into a contradiction or a competition. And so women, you feel this, this urge to help men, but actually it's a desire to rule over men. Like there's this control issue. You see this play out in my house, man. The way that me and my wife clean is completely different and my wife wants me to do things the way she does them and I typically don't because I'm a moron half the time. And so um, anyway, what happens is that she says, hey, I saw how you cleaned the counters last night. That's not right. And I'm like, girl, like let, let me just like, can we just celebrate that I wiped them down? And so there's this war in my home. The woman that I'm called to love, she seeks to control me. And it's something that's broken inside of her. And so my response typically is I get frustrated. And so you see that the woman's desires for her husband, but he's going to rule over her. And so it's broken. Men, we are we either aggressively passive, we check out. And so I say, I ain't never cleaning the counters again. Or I get frustrated like, well, you know, I start yelling, discussing about the cleaning of the counters. And men, some of you here, man, you're so short-fused towards women. And that, man, if you're here and you've laid your hands on a woman or you've been a, aggressively a, assaulting her with your, with your words, you're not a man. Reject the curse that is upon us. Don't be a coward with muscles. Treat women the way God has called us to, but it's so hard because there's this war that wages between the genders and we see that the work is cursed as well. In verse 17, Adam said to, or then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. And you've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. And so sin's curse, it affects the will to obey. The woman we're called to love, and now the work that we were called to enjoy. And so we have this mentality that I'll go to work if it pays me. I'll go to work if it's my passion, but I ain't doing no menial things. And so we sit around in laziness or, or the opposite of that is that we find our identity in our work. And so guys, we're, we're broken when it comes to work. Don't be naive, guys. Work is going to be hard. It was once enjoyable and you'll have glimmers of fulfillment, but more than likely, nine times out of ten, it will feel like you're on the treadmill of futility, not getting anywhere because your work is now cursed. And so we see the, 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 the fallout, we see the sin that all that God intended for us, the beautiful design that God had for us is broken. And so we've come here tonight, man, and there's brokenness here tonight. We got a call earlier today, one of our couples in our young adult ministry, happily married, launched into their new early marriage. News came that there was an affair. that sin entered in this beautiful picture of what the gospel is supposed to be between a man and a woman. But all that we know is broken. And some of you men are here tonight, and you're like, well, that would never happen to me. Well, this guy never thought his wife would do that to him. And some of you girls are here, well, that would never happen to me. You're not, you're not exclusive to the sin that stains humanity. And so we need to have a picture of what God's called us to do. So, so what do we do as we finish? And I said, what do we do? Do we just cowboy up or do we just give up? Do we just, you know, grab our bravado and masculinity and work harder and do better to try to push back the darkness of the, the work that we're called to do, the woman we're called to I mean, what do we do? The question is not what do we do. The question is more where are you? Where are you? See, the first step to becoming a man is being courageously honest with where you are. Everyone rejects God, either in the rebellion or in the religion. Jenner, I got one more picture of Jenner. I mean, no one, no one looks at Jenner and thinks, oh, he's got it all together. 
And Jenner's problem, again, was not that, that he's confused, not that he's broken. We're all confused. We're all broken. Jenner, perhaps, is one of the most courageous men ever because he was courageously honest about a dark secret that he was really wrestling with, and his problem was not his honesty. His problem was that he followed his heart. The Scripture tells us that our heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure, that there's a way that seems right in a man's heart, but in the end, it leads to death. And that the hope that we have tonight, men, women, the hope that we have tonight is that when we are courageously honest before a living God, he doesn't leave us in the curse. That in Genesis 3.15, he gives the proto-euangelion, the first gospel. He gives a glimpse of the gospel that the serpent will strike the heel of man, but there will be one that will come, and his name is Jesus. We're on the right side of history to look to the author and perfecter of our faith. We're, we're on the right side of history to look at the God-man. We're on the right side to see that there was a man sent from heaven, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, and he crushed the head of the snake so that we could have hope, so that we could be brought to life. And when we recognize this and embrace this, we do what uh, we embrace what God does for Adam. In verse 21, he says that Adam and his wife, the, the Lord made them these tunics of skin and he clothed them, that he ripped off their works of righteousness. He ripped off their fig leaves. He said, your good works aren't going to be sufficient. You're going to have to trust that I'm going to have to be the one that acquits you of this offense. And men, if you want to be the man that God has called you to be, you got to let God into your life. And it's God that gives you the power to push back the curse that is upon you. And so men and women, I just want to invite you to bow your head and I'm going to ask you two questions as we finish tonight. Men, where are you? I want you to imagine that the God of the galaxies that you you trust him up to this point, and then you've, you've done something terrible. You've, you've sinned against the Almighty God, and he comes. I want you to imagine he's sitting right there with you. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts and ask this question. I want you to imagine he's asking, where are you? You'll never have the power to be the man God wants you to be until you are courageously honest with where you are at. Don't be deceived. Where are you? And if you're not in a right relationship with Jesus, trust this, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite you here in a minute to step into a right relationship with Jesus. Where are you, men? And the second question, men, where are your men? Who are the men that you battle against the curse with? Who is your community? When you step into a right relationship with Jesus and you surround yourself in a proper community where men will speak truth and love and call you up to the man that God has called you to be, you will walk in victory and be more than a conqueror in Christ. You'll be able to act like a man that God has designed and act like a man that God has designed you to be. You'll be able to rise up and be a warrior that rewrites the legacy of your family tree. May this be a defining moment in your masculinity that has an impact on the generations to come through your legacy. When men don't even remember your name, they'll remember what you stood for. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. God, that you would call men to be men you would put a stop to the epidemic in our society where men are abdicating their responsibility and you'd help men to stand up, to get a job, to honor God, to live for righteousness, to pursue a woman, to get married, have children, and chase the kingdom or men of God that will honor you in their singleness and they'll choose to trust you with their sexuality and they won't waste a single moment, God, that you would honor and you would use all the men in this room. God, you would help us to know you, to have a band of brothers that will point us to you often. In Jesus' name I pray.